All right, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, if you don't uh, have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. And if you have a smartphone or tablet device, we are using the NIV, the New International Version. Um, we're in a series called Angels We Have Heard. We've been looking at the message of the angels, uh, the impact of their presence in the nativity stories. And today we're looking at the story where the angel comes to Joseph in a dream. Uh, and we've been looking at the wonder that this, that this brings into our lives and the way that it can change our lives and the trajectory of our lives. Uh, if you're brand new with us, hopefully you got a new here brochure on your way in. It explains a few things about our service. And also on the inside, there is a sermon application guide for today. And the whole idea behind this is there are some of the big ideas that are shared in the sermon are in here. So you can take them home with you. There's room for taking notes if you're a note taker. There's family discussion questions. The kids, we usually follow what the kids are doing uh, down at the other end of the building, not for our Advent series, but we'll return to that in the first, in the last weekend of this year, right after Christmas. And then there are reflection questions and small group questions, and, and those, those are about taking it deeper into our lives because it's really not about just getting a bunch of information in our lives. Hopefully this is about our lives uh, being changed, transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So here we go, uh, beginning in verse 18, a familiar passage, but hopefully one that we'll see, feel, experience in a fresh way. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When jo Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife, as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. All right. So the angel comes to Joseph in a dream, and he tells him, don't be afraid to marry Mary. Mary is pregnant. Uh, Mary is, uh, the, the child is not his. Uh, presumably, she, he's engaged her, which is a, a legal uh, arrangement. That's why it says he thought he was going to divorce her, because it is a legal arrangement that required to break it, required a divorce. Uh, but um, she's presumably uh, pregnant with someone else's child. Uh, so we don't know what Joseph is feeling. We know a little bit about what he was thinking, what his plan was. Uh, but we don't know a whole lot about what he was feeling. Was he feeling betrayed? Was he feeling uh, like maybe he had bad judgment uh, to think that he would ever want to marry Mary? Uh, 
is he feeling that Mary was maybe attacked, that Mary was possibly uh, raped? We, we don't know um, what he's feeling. We do know that in order to keep the plan moving forward, because he was thinking about divorcing her, that's what his plan was, and to do it quietly rather than you know, publicly and make a, you know, try to shame her for what had happened, to try to, to, try to tamp that down a little bit, um, that we do know that to keep the plan moving forward, God's plan of what he was going to do in Jesus and in the way that he wanted to do it, he dispatches an angel to go talk to Joseph. And he says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to marry Mary. And, uh, and so that is the fear. He speaks to a fear. So that's one of the things that we know he is feeling. We know he's feeling afraid of that whole idea. Why would Joseph be afraid to marry her? What is the fear that is going through him? Well, it's, a, it's actually a fear that we can really relate to if we're really honest with ourselves. And it's the fear of what others think. And it's a fear that we don't outgrow. We oftentimes, if we have kids, we talk to them about, hey, you know, don't do things just because other people do it and just because other people say this. It, this is a fear that we don't outgrow. And, and it's, it's not just a fear of what other people think. It's actually a fear of what other people might do based on what they think. Uh, and Joseph has to be thinking, what would people do? If I were to marry her, what would people do? Now, he wasn't planning on marrying her, but now the angel says, you're going to marry her, and he speaks to his fear. What would he be afraid of? Well, he might be thinking, will anybody ever hire me to build a table for them? Small town. Um, he's, he's got to be thinking about, will my kid, this child that I'm going to adopt if I, if I marry her, any other children that we have, will they be allowed into synagogue school? A very important part of their education in small town Nazareth. He's got to be thinking, will my friends reject me? Will I be kicked out of the synagogue? Will people sit next to me if I show up at the synagogue? And then there's all these repercussions for his parents. We don't think about this very often, but if Joseph's parents are alive, and they probably are, what about my parents? What about my, my siblings? Now, uh, it's, it's a very real fear for him because this is first century small town, small Jewish town. And these are all legitimate fears. Now, when someone tells me that they don't, they don't care about what other people think, I usually, what I hear is, I really do care about what you think, but I think that if you think, I don't care what people think, you'll think more highly of me. <laughs> that, that's what, what I usually hear. Now, it may be that that's not what they're thinking. Uh, it just may be that they're not thinking because the reality is that we're, we live in a very connected world and when people, like, people don't think well of you, it, it really can ruin a lot of opportunities for you. And not just for you, it can really ruin a lot of, derail a lot of things for you in your life. No matter how powerful you are, nobody, you don't care about what people think, eventually uh, you're going to pay a price for that because people will get you <laughs> in one way or another. So Joseph is rightly afraid. To be pregnant out of wedlock in that time and place, very serious thing. There's a stigma that would be 
put to that, um, and it's going to impact his life. It's going to impact his kid's life. The angel says, don't be afraid of that. Just move forward. Now, I was at this point, when I was thinking about where this sermon was going, I, I even wrote part of it with the idea that, uh, that is usually brought in here, which is we don't quite get that in our culture. Uh, we, we don't quite get it, get it because... We've been told for years and years by sociologists, social anthropologists, we've been told we don't live in an honor-shame culture. You want to see what that looks like? You've got to go to the Middle East. You've got to go to um, places where Western thinking hasn't taken over. We don't live in an honor-shame culture. And I was writing that, and all of a sudden, I just, a word or phrase uh, or term popped into my mind. Uh, and uh, from there, all of a sudden, my thinking went a whole different direction. Because we live in a world where everywhere you turn, you see uh, things being written about body shaming, right? Uh, so because of social media, because of the comments that are made when somebody does a selfie or pictures are taken or whatever, uh, and then people uh, pile on about how the person looks. And so there is a term that we're using a lot these days, which is body shaming and a bunch of variations on that. Shame is, shame is real in our day because it's not just body shaming and variations of that. Uh, there, if you use the wrong word, the wrong terminology, if you dress in a certain way that is deemed um, incorrect in some way, uh, there, is, there are so many ways. If you parent in a certain way, if you, if you communicate on social media something about parenting that goes against the flow, you will be shamed uh, as a parent by some people, sometimes by your own friends, because people are kind of crazy on social media. I mean, not so. You know, they say things they would never say face-to-face. -face. Uh, they say to their own friends, family members, all that sort of thing. Uh, wrong food choices there'll be people that will, that will shame you. And so shame is all, shame, shaming is alive and well in our culture. It's not that difficult. It's different, but it's not. It's a different kind of shaming for something different, but we can understand, easily understand, what Joseph is concerned about, what his fear is. Now, honor, the other side of that, um, I don't think it's being used a whole lot in present-day culture, but honor is, to a great degree, about approval. It's about people, you know, saying, I approve and I even, you know, look up to you or that sort of thing. And there's a lot of that going on. I, I, read, I, I read, I think it was this week, last week, um, uh, uh, that Kim Kardashian, which is the first time I've used her name in a sermon, <laughs> that Kim Kardashian says she has to take about 1,200 selfies in a day to get just a few good pictures to use on social media. Uh, uh, all right, so um, we do want approval. Uh, we, we do, and if you go, oh, that's Kim Kardashian. Do you want an unflattering picture of you on social media? Uh, probably, probably not. Now, uh, if you're a student and you're shamed by someone on social media, someone that you deem, that a lot of people deem to be popular or a leader within the subculture in which you live within your school, your group, it is, it is devastating. 
It's personally devastating. But it's rampant in our culture. And so I, I really wonder, I don't know, I, 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 now I want to dig into this, I really wonder what soci sociologists are saying now. You know, if they're rewriting all that stuff about shame and honor. It's probably a different nuance in Jewish culture, I get it, uh, but it sure is happening in our, in our world. But God sends a messenger to Joseph and he says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In other words, he's saying, don't be afraid to do what I'm calling you to do, even if it makes you look bad, even if it results in bad things for you and bad things possibly for your family. Understand that. Joseph has to think not just about himself. He has to think about what this will do to his family and his future, possible future family. Do the right thing. Be courageous. Don't be afraid of how it will impact you and your family. That's the message that the angel is bringing to Joseph. And I think there's really only one way to move forward courageously to move forward without that fear of what other people will think. Um, and it's true for Joseph and it's true for, for you and me. Uh, as I was thinking about this just yesterday, in fact, I, uh, a, a, an incident from my life in sixth grade, I don't remember a ton of things from elementary school. Sixth grade was elementary back then. But there are certain things that pop into my mind every once in a while. It was an incident out on the playing fields during recess. I don't remember what it was about, but I got into an argument with the kid that I would have said the most popular kid in school. Nice guy, great athlete, you know, just someone that people looked up to. But I got in an argument with him over something, and in my mind it was something having to do with the game we were playing, I think it was kickball or something like that. And it escalated and escalated to the point that he said, I'll see you after school and we're going to have a fight. And I'm like, oh boy. And so, you know, I left and, um, and for the rest, the, the rest, or at least for the next two, two or three hours, I'm like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> you know, I don't think I thought it through this to this extent, uh, because I think it's not going to end well, I'm going to get killed. Um, but even now, you know, I think it's not going to end well, because even if I win, I lose. You know, it's, it's not, it's not going to be a good thing. And, uh, and, I was, and I was afraid. I didn't want this guy to have me on his list of people. And he's a nice guy. I even, I liked him. That was the weird thing. And he wasn't a bully. Um, and so I, I went to him and I said, hey, you know, that was, that was dumb, you know, and, and apologized in some roundabout way uh, to say, we don't, need, we don't need to fight after school. And he accepted my apology. I don't, I don't know what was going through his mind. I was bigger than he was, so maybe, maybe he was not looking forward to it either. I don't know. Um, so what if, though? Okay, that's, that's inconsequential. That's having the most popular guy in school wanting to fight you over an argument, over, say, kickball. But what happens when, when someone that you consider to be important, influential in school, uh, or a group of people kind of gang up on you because you're starting to include and trying to include people that they deem to be on the outside and not part of their group? Well, what happens if in school... 
you will not participate, and it becomes obvious, in demeaning other people. Participating in the talking behind someone's back and chopping them down. What if you, what if you actually insert yourself into one of those and say, we need to stop this right now? Not, not in a you guys, but in we. We need to stop this right now. What if uh, everyone or a group wants you to lie because it's going to be to their advantage, and you say, I'm not going to lie. And you tell them why you don't lie and why the truth is important to you. Now, all those things I just applied to students. All those things are things we face as adults, right? Again, we don't, we don't outgrow that. And I think there's only one way that we can do the right thing without fear when others think the right thing is stupid or when others think that the right thing is actually the wrong thing, all right? And that one way is contained in the reason that the angel gives for moving forward and not being afraid. So look at verse 20. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to, marry Mary, uh, to take Mary home as your wife because... They'll be afraid because, okay, here's the because. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I don't, I don't think we see those two connected. Because, you know, we, because it's the right thing to do and God will reward you for it. Because I commanded you to, and you need to respond to my command. Oh, that's true. That's true, and there's other places in Scripture. But it's not because, and it gives who the baby is. So what about this message gives Joseph courage to push through ridicule, gossip, uh, rejections, troubles, possible financial hardship? What is it? Now, before we answer that, let's see what it is that he says after that because, just for, just for a couple of moments. Um, uh, because what he's saying is remarkable. It's more than remarkable. Uh, but I'm going to go at it from the angle of what did Joseph hear him saying, and then we'll, we'll see what he's actually saying So uh, as we go along. So what, is, what does he hear? He hears the baby in Mary's tomb is a divine baby, a god, a half-god. <laughs> That's what Joseph is hearing. God has come and conceived in Mary a child. And the only concept that Joseph can have is something new is happening, and this is, this is a, some kind of half-God, half-man, baby type of thing. That's the gist of what he's hearing. Now, Matthew doesn't leave it there because that's where we might go with it as well, and, uh, and his readers might go with it, and right away he wants to get that out of the way. So Matthew adds this, verse 22. All this took, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And now get the meaning of Emmanuel, Matthew is saying, which means God with us. God with us, not half God with us, God with us. And so Matthew is speaking here of two really important doctrines, teachings of Scripture. 
Uh, he's talking about incarnation first. Incarnation. What's, what's incarnation mean? It means God becomes a man, a living, breathing human being. So in John chapter 1, in John's gospel, it says that the Word was God. Now you have to understand why John would say that. But he identifies right at the very beginning that there's the Word and the Word was God. Very Right there at the beginning, the Word was God. And then later he says, and this is from the message, which captures it really well. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's, that's incarnation. The second doctrine that is behind this is the doctrine of the Trinity. There's only one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery that is without comparison. You can say, well, the Trinity is like and it will always fall way short of explaining what the Trinity is because there's nothing to compare it to in our experience. Jesus isn't a God or a half-God. Jesus is truly God and truly man. So hold that thought, because what else does the angel say? The child and Mary will save, this is what he hears, this is what Joseph, will save the Jewish people. Uh, what, it, what he actually says, save his people from their sins. <coughs> Excuse me. Save his people from their sins. Now, the concept probably, almost surely, Joseph would hear Jewish people. That's what he would hear, and there's good reason for him to be thinking about, about that. But we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story. We know that Jesus came for every people, tribe, and nation, and that his people would be those that follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they would come from every, every people, every tribe, and every nation. We also have the benefit of the genealogy of Jesus that comes right before this passage that is filled with people from other tribes and nations besides the Jewish people, that the descendants of Jesus included non-Jews. And so we, we know that. Now it took, <coughs> so it took the church, the early church, um, let's call it 15 chapters in Acts to actually get what this meant. Uh, we're, we're, we're starting an Acts at the very end of the week after Thanksgiving. We'll be spending some time, after Christmas, we'll be spending quite a bit of time in Acts, the book of Acts. And it takes a long time before the church really gets the whole, that, that message. But what is it? Okay, so let's ask the question. What is it about this message that gives Joseph courage to face the ridicule, to face the gossip, to face the rejections, the troubles, the potential financial hardships? What's the reason that Joseph can be courageous. This reason that's given, what is it? Now, if I were to use one word, I'm actually going to use two words. If I were to use two words to describe it, the angel's message. I'm only going to have one on the screen, but I, it needs a little extra definition. I would say it is transcendent wonder. I know that's a theme that we've been talking about in this series, right? But understand, he didn't say, the angel didn't say, you need to do this because I said so and I'm God. Because obedience is important. Because this will work out well for you. Because obeying me is always better than disobeying. It doesn't use any of those things. Instead, he just opens the world of possibility. Just says, look, look what you're a part of. This is huge. This is, this baby 
is the Savior of the world. This baby has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. When, when Joseph gets that, when we get that, and he can't get it in all its fullness, and we can never get it in all of its fullness, but when we get that, it changes everything. We get the wonder of what Christmas is all about. We get the wonder of what God is up to and what God is doing. It changes everything. It's, it's a sense of transcendent wonder. Transcends just my everyday kind of life and experience. It transcends that. It brings a wonder that transcends all of that. If I believe that this life is all there is, if I believe that this life is all that really matters, then I ought to be afraid, just logically, I ought to be afraid when I'm ridiculed and hated and rejected. I ought to be afraid when I think about going forward and doing the thing that God says is right, but other people are going to say is wrong or dumb or hurts me or why don't you just go along, all of that. But when the unseen realm breaks through and we hear how much God cares about us, that he would enter into our world and suffer with us, and we understand that God is weaving a story of salvation, of rescue uh, for humanity. We're captured by the wonder of all of that. And we're not just taking it for granted. When we're hearing it in a fresh way, when we're maybe hearing it for the first time, like Joseph, we're captured by the wonder of it. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope when we face rejection. It gives us hope when our lives are falling apart. It gives us hope when we look at the world and the world is falling apart because we know this is not all there is and we know that God is at work and we know that God has a plan and he's including us in that plan. That's a wonder that we've been talking about. It's a wonder that gives us hope and trouble. Now hope that is born in transcendent wonder, gives us courage. That's why the angel can say, don't be afraid to do the right thing. It gives us courage to move forward in the rejection, move forward in the shaming, and the financial setbacks that might come our way because we've done the right thing. It gives us courage. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to close with this. Matthew 5 is the... Um, very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount runs all the way through chapter 7. Uh, in terms of just a sermon all put together, Jesus is speaking uh, on, a, on a mountainside. Nothing, nothing like it. The greatest sermon ever preached. And it starts out with the Beatitudes, and they're beautiful. And I, I want you to, to just stop for a moment and realize, I mean really realize that, that if, if what if this wonder, this belief that there is more to life than what we see or feel, if that's not true, none of what just Jesus says here is, is, means anything. And if we're going to hear what he says here and live what he says here, we have to believe that there's more. So listen to what he says, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We need the wonder if we're going to be salt and light in the world, a world that is full of decay, a world that is full of darkness. That's why we gather. And when we gather, we learn from God's word, we hear it, we worship together, it's why we continue that worship, hearing, praying, when we scatter. It's why we do it. It's why we're pausing to listen to what the angels say in this nativ- these nativity scenes. The angels re-enchant the world and they bring back the wonder. It's the season, it's in this season that we can see the wonder of it. If we'll open our eyes and open our hearts to it. Please join me in prayer.